Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Thanks for joining us this morning here at Trinity. Uh, it's, um, it's good to be in this place together. And there is something special about being able to worship the Lord um, with others. You know, we're doing that all throughout the week on our own. We listen to worship songs. We're reading our Bibles, we're fellowshipping with others, but when we get together, uh, there is something unique and something special about it. And so this is a good way to start our new week, amen? Um, I'm going to read from uh, the scriptures as our call to worship. Uh, it's just one verse uh, this morning. I'm going to read it twice and read it slowly. And I'd love for you to just be able to um, allow the word of the Lord to sink in. And let it be our 
all into worshiping God, and then we will stand and sing songs of worship to him. But God's word puts us where we need to be. You know, we come into this place on a Sunday morning, and maybe it was a little crazy uh, this morning getting here. Uh, maybe you had a really busy week, and uh, just looking forward to sort of putting everything else aside. Um, and so this is that opportunity to do that. So listen to the word of the Lord. Uh, let it be um, our call into worship together. This is um, a reading taken from Isaiah chapter 57. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I'll read it one more time. That we'll stand and pray and sing songs of praise. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Would you stand with me? We pray to worship. We have a new song to our congregation. Our first song will be new, only a holy God. And so as we hear these words, we take that into learning a new song together. If you don't know it, feel free to just stand, listen to those around you singing and, and uh, allow the words to sink deep into your heart as the, the music moves your spirit. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for this blessed opportunity to be together. We thank you for your word. It is living, it is active, we love it. We thank you for Jesus, the word, who is the light and life. We are praying in his name, Father, and we're praying that his name would be glorified this morning in this place for he alone is worthy. And so, Father, as we sing songs of praise to you, God, may they be a sweet sound to your ear. Father, that you would be blessed. And we know that even in the midst of coming to surrender and offer ourselves up to you in worship, that yet you will still bless us. That is how good you are. So, Father, this time is for you. We come before you and your matchless throne of grace. We do so with all confidence, but yet with humility. And saying we love you, we worship you and adore you. Father, this time is for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's worship the Lord together.
Oh, Father, you are worthy to be praised. We thank you, God, that we can sing those powerful words. We know them to be true because of the God who tells them to us and the God behind it. Every battle belongs to you, Father, that we may not fear. God, we can just lay down all those fears at your feet right now. Give you all the praise and glory and honor that is due your name. Thank you for being our mighty fortress and our God. We praise you in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Amen. So as our little ones make their way down the hall, take a moment to greet one another in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, good morning. Good morning. Thanks again for joining us. Praise the Lord for a great time of worship. We're grateful for, uh, for the next generation, for the kids' ministry, and all those who work with them. We're thankful. Praise the Lord. Um, just a, a few um, announcements. We call this our time of church life, just to get kind of caught up on what's going on. Uh, please make sure that you're a part of our prayer email list. So if you'd like to, to know about uh, prayer requests and um, what's going on in people's lives and the asking for prayers for people and situations, then you can certainly just uh, go to our website and you'll see the information there. But you simply just uh, send an email to prayer at trinityallenwood.com and uh, you'll be signed up. And then you'll get all those prayer requests throughout the week. And it's awesome to see those uh, answered prayers come in to see what God is doing and how God is answering those prayers. And so 
Um, that's a vital part of our church life is praying. Uh, and so we have a Wednesday night prayer uh, gathering here. And then uh, if you're part of the, the uh, prayer email list, you can be a prayer warrior and be praying along with us. So um, please make sure that you do that. Um, so our Dig Deeper um, class on Sunday mornings uh, and also our Tuesday morning men's and women's Bible studies will be on break for the holiday until the first week of January. So uh, hopefully um, if you weren't able to join us for the first um, session in the fall, they'll be able to, uh, to join us for uh, the new book of Daniel. I believe we're doing Daniel in both of those. And so uh, that'll start in the first week of January. So please make a note of that. Great opportunities to learn as we talk about learning and growing and serving. That's how we pursue discipleship here at Trinity. See that on the screen, our core values. Um, great way to learn and get into the Word of God is our Sunday morning Dig Deeper and our Tuesday morning studies um, and uh, just a couple of opportunities. So they will pick back up again uh, in the beginning of January. Uh, we have our Thanksgiving Eve service coming up because Thanksgiving is this coming week, right? And uh, I did some, some of our preliminary food shopping last night, and boy, the shop right was crazy. I figured... I go on a Saturday night, everybody's out doing something, and the, the something was at being at the shop, right? That's where they were. And uh, there was already stuff missing from some of the shelves, you know. I'm like, where is that cream of mushroom soup for the green bean casserole? And I couldn't find it. And so, um, but it's all good. It's exciting. And so what we love to do here at Trinity is uh, get together on the night before. So that's Wednesday evening, this, this Wednesday, at 7 o'clock here at Trinity and uh, we just have a wonderful uh, time together of testimony. So it'll be a, a brief uh, message and devotional, but most of the time is just uh, all of you sharing. So uh, I would uh, hope that you would take the opportunity to come out and be willing to share something of thankfulness that God has been doing in your life, maybe throughout this year or even right now. And so we'd love to just hear more uh, words of testimony about what God is doing in your life. And then we'll have some pie afterwards, all right? And so... That is 7 o'clock this Wednesday, our Thanksgiving Eve service. Great opportunity to invite friends, too. Invite friends and family to come on out uh, and um, uh, begin Thanksgiving the weekend, right? Um, next uh, Sunday, we'll have a, a, a testimony by this man here. Many of you have taken these, but uh, Jersey Shore Rescue Mission is one of our uh, missions partners. And uh, these are available for you out on our uh, table, our resource table. And so I think these come out once uh, every month, every couple of months with a, a new sort of highlighted testimony. So Robbie, who's uh, featured here, uh, will be here next Sunday and uh, during the service, he will share his testimony. And so if you'd like um, to read a little bit about it, you can pick one of these up on your way out and he'll be here in person to share more about what God has done in his life, how the Lord has rescued him and uh, again, talking about the power of testimony, all right? So hopefully you'll be here for that. If not, you can watch it, uh, you know, just join us online during the service or afterwards, just go to our sermons page on the website and you'll be able to see it. But uh, we've had a few um, men who have come through the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission come and share their powerful stories of uh, transformation. And uh, so we will do that next week and Robbie will join us. And he is an artist um, and a musician and uh, has uh, quite a unique and uh, very powerful story about how the Lord got his attention and uh, what he is doing now uh, in his walk with Jesus. So 
So yes, that will be next, um, next Sunday, uh, which will also be a great lead-in to our December series. So for the, the weeks of December, our Christmas uh, season, we'll be taking a break from Matthew, and there'll just be a, a, a short series on the new discipleship pathway resource of telling um, your story and telling the story, which I've been promoting for a while. And so we're going to do a, a brief sermon series on that new resource and how we pursue discipleship in this, these two areas about how we share our testimony, right? And so we'll have a testimony next week. This Wednesday is you telling testimonies at the Thanksgiving Eve service. And in December, as we lead up to Christmas and we focus in on the story, of course, the story of the birth of our Savior Jesus, we will look at the connection of evangelism and Christmas. And what does it look like to share your faith with others in light of the Christmas story? And then, of course, part of that is sharing the gospel. What is the gospel? What do people need to believe in order to be saved? And how do we share that gospel with others? And how do we proclaim it? And so that is a big part of the Christmas story as, of course, the angels proclaimed the birth of Jesus, and the shepherds did, and the wise men did. And so we will look at the Christmas story in light of sharing our story, all right? And so that will be for the month of December. And so next week, Robbie's testimony will help us to gear up for that. Uh, also, just wanted to lastly just thank everyone for, um, who, who was able to, to go out and serve yesterday at the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission coat giveaway. And uh, so just wanted to ask Andrew and Elizabeth, who you can come on up, who head up our missions team, to share a few words about that great event yesterday. All right. Yep. Yep. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, the first thing I want to say is glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Um, and prayers answered because we prayed it was supposed to rain, but it didn't. Um, I want to thank all our Trinity family for all of their donations. Um, that helped us very much. Thank you very much to you guys. We can't do it without you. Second of all, I want to thank all the volunteers that were at the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission coat driveway, coat giveaway. Um, there was 19 of you guys. That's awesome. Give yourself a hand, round of applause. Thank you very much. Third of all, my brothers and sister, we served 400 families yesterday and gave away 1,900 coats, which is a record from last year, and um, God is so awesome. He, um, he shows us every time that we serve that he is there with us. He's backing us up. He's giving us the strength, because it, it was a little bit cold in the morning, but we got through it, and windy, but we got through it. And we were able to bless so many people, so many kids. I was in the line, you know, passing through the line and there was this little boy and he only had like a little long sleeve shirt and I asked him are you are you cold he said yes I'm cold I said don't worry you're gonna get your coat God's gonna take care of you so 
I thank you again. You all better get ready for next year because we're all going to make it even better. Thank you and God bless. God is just so amazing. You know, Matthew 20, 28, it speaks that the Lord said, I didn't come to serve, you know, to be served, but to serve. And that's what we got to follow. We got to follow his example to serve these people, you know, and that's they let us stay united in Christ. The question is, if you're not serving Jesus, who are you serving? You got you to wonder who, who you're serving. Those people out there in those lines that are just waiting. I got to get credit to my little son, AJ. He was passing out hot chocolate, and he was mumbling a little bit. I said, AJ, you got to speak up this little bit, because he's speaking like Michael Jackson. You want some hot chocolate? <laughs> <laughs> I got to get credit to him. It took some courage for him to get out there, but he... He started getting more comfortable. The Holy Spirit's leading him to walk through the line, give a hot chocolate, and it was just amazing, you know, <laughs> by the grace of God. <laughs> but I, I just want to tell you, when you get out there, you see things that you don't see, you know, and, and the Lord's working. When I, when I was out there, you know, when we got out there and I seen Betsy and Bruce, they was like almost security passing out tickets. I'm like, Betsy and Bruce security out here? The Lord can use anybody, you know? It's it just amazing. You know, Primo out there, everybody, Maureen, Tina, the, the, the names, it's Billy. I mean, all these names. We come out as a family out there to serve these people because the thing is, Team Trinity, I think Prima came out with that. Yeah. <laughs> and just to, to come out there, you know, we are family of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of him, you know. We can't do it alone without Christ. If he's not out there, I'm not going out there, you know. So we go out there together to serve these people. I, I, was talk, um, I was praying for this guy named Thomas. He was in the line um, before he got a coat. And I was praying, saying, can you pray for my family and everything? I said, yeah, come on, let's pray. We prayed, and um, he was so happy and thankful. Then when I seen him, when he got his coat, he said, Andrew, come here. I got my coat for my job. Now I can go to my job. I'm, I'll be warm when I work tomorrow. You know, and it's the little things. You know, I got something right here that says, like, you know, both, like three of these rescue missions, just the Jersey Shore rescue mission, Market Street mission, um, in Newton, in Sussex County, Newton, that's up there. Now, um, the Market Street mission that started over there in Morristown, that was since the 1800s, 1889 this place started. You know, they gave, you know, between the, yeah, give a round of applause for that, 1889. Um, the thrift stores on, on three, three missions altogether, 789,840 giveaways, you know, from the vouchers. People come in vouchers Tuesday and Thursday just to get clothes, get, just to get shoes. I seen my wife and um, Jeff, they, this guy said, I need some shoes. Well, they, they came to the back to get some shoes. Just, and it's amazing just to, you know, to give shoes to somebody in need and coats and just, just to smile as a family, just to go out there to, to talk to these people, talk about Christ. I mean, when I was observing things, I, Char, Champagne, I think I, I pronounce this wrong all the time. Champagne, he was out, he was in the garage. He was in the garage, man, he was talking. He said, man, it, it, it's a lot of coats out there. I said, Champagne, look how we giving away coats and, Meanwhile, people bringing in coats back in to replenish what we need, you know? And that's what we go out there to do, to serve, learn, grow, and serve. That's our three core values at Trinity, learn, grow, and serve, so we can tell other people about Christ. You know, it's no longer I, but Christ in us, you know? And that's, that's him. And if we want to love just like he did, he gave his life. He gave his life for us, so we got to go out there and tell people about him. Because people dying, whether you know, they could be in your, your backyard, your neighbor. Right, right around across the street at your job. They done. You, all you do is spark a conversation, pray for these people. And, you know, and that'll lead more because the Holy Spirit is working. We seen it working yesterday. I mean, he works every day. But some, some days, like, like, his presence is felt. 
it was felt so heavy yesterday. You know, the smiles I see. I see everybody out there lifting coats, doing things. Jan Tessa was out there. We're about to bring her up in, right in a couple seconds. Jan Tessa got a powerful out we, I mean, testimony, which she got to say about what happened yesterday. You know, I wish I would have took a picture of the, of the girl she's going to talk about. But, man, it's just uh, awesome. Jan Tessa, you come up and, and, and say a couple words because I'll be here all day. Yes, Andrew would be here all day. Uh, well, this wasn't my first coat drive, but this is the first time I had a different job at the coat drive. I've always like just put all the coats out and then helped shop. Uh, this time I was kind of what you would call it at the end of the line where we were matching up the coats with scarves, hats, and gloves, which was truly an awesome experience to put the whole thing together. But I, I had three takeaways from yesterday. One was Again, think about we gave out 1,900 coats. These are all donations, 1,900 coats plus in Asbury Park. So these donations are coming from incredible amount of people. And the only new coats were the children's coach, which was truly wonderful to see. The first uh, encounter I had was a gentleman. I'm going to say he was probably late 30s, 6 foot 2, 200 plus pounds, and a double X. By the time he got to our table, I don't know who else was there with me. He had on this most gorgeous black overcoat. The girls had, right, Angela? The girls had already hooked him up with a hat. We hooked him up with a scarf. He looked like a CEO by the time he was done. And I said that to him. I said, my goodness. And that smile on his face was priceless. But this little girl, I was looking for Andrew to take a picture. So I'm way in the back and the coats are like on the other side. And this little girl, about eight years old, puts on a pink metallic puffer coat with a fur hood. She danced with it. She twirled with it. She wouldn't take it off. And that, I said, it was like Christmas morning for this little girl. And by the time she came, she was still wearing that coat when she came to our table. She would not take it off. So that image is my Christmas gift. Thank you. Uh, praise the Lord. The power of testimony, right? The power of testimony. Thank you, Jesus, for what he did yesterday and uh, just that we get to be a part of it and partner with a great uh, ministry like that. And so hopefully you've been encouraged and maybe even challenged um, to take these words seriously. We learn and we grow together, but we serve together as well. We serve each other in this church and then we serve the world around us and as we all know, there is great need. There is great need, and we don't have to travel far to see that. So um, let me pray for us again, and we'll open God's word together. Father, you've been so good to us so far. A wonderful time of worship and hearing, God, how you are at work in people's lives, and you provide. You are our great provider. May we always be willing to trust you. Father, just being reminded this morning and that, those powerful testimonies, God, that you, are, you know our needs. You know the needs of each and every person that you have created. And God, you bless others, and you most often use us as a means of that blessing. So thank you for that great privilege. And God, as we open your word now, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through it. We trust it wholeheartedly, and we desire to leave here being changed being a little bit more like Jesus than we were when we walked in. 
we pray in his name. Amen. Well, you can turn in your Bibles to um, Matthew chapter 5. This is where we are, excuse me, in our journey through Matthew. We call it King and Kingdom because uh, this is the main theme of Matthew in this gospel account. You know, we have four gospels in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have Matthew, which I believe was the earliest one, the first one written. And it is from the uh, written by, of course, God himself, but penned by Matthew and um, a follower of Jesus and one of the disciples. And so he gives an account of Jesus' life and his ministry. And so we have already seen the birth of Jesus. We've seen his lineage, his genealogy. We have seen um, the beginning of his ministry. And um, now we are seeing the very first and longest sermon and message that we have recorded by Jesus. And Matthew is recounting this. And it's all because Matthew is making a point that Jesus is the king and he is uh, offering the kingdom to first century Israel. And so his audience, his original audience, were predominantly Jewish believers. They were uh, Jews who had become believers in Jesus Messiah. And Matthew is now writing to them to confirm for them, yes, indeed, he is the long-awaited king, and he is coming to bring his kingdom. And what does it mean to then be a citizen of that kingdom? And so that's where we find ourselves today, because as we started a couple of weeks ago in the Sermon on the Mount, this is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, probably the most famous and, again, longest recorded of his uh, sermons. Jesus is teaching us about life in the kingdom, and he's talking about citizens, and he's talking to those first disciples, and now today we read that and say, what does it look like for us as we await our king Jesus to return and to usher in his kingdom? How do we act like citizens of the kingdom of heaven now on earth while we wait for him. And so we started with the Beatitudes and those are the blessings and what does it look like when you're blessed to be mournful or blessed to be a peacemaker or to hunger and thirst after righteousness or blessed when you are meek. And what does that look like? As he was talking about, if you remember, the inner qualities and characteristics of a citizen of his kingdom. So he is the king, and he's saying, this is what I expect from you, my people, my citizens. And so he's talking about the inner qualities, the heart. Because for Jesus, it's all about the heart issue. And you remember that uh, one of the reasons he, of course, is saying this is because the, um, the first century um, Israel, the Jewish people, had been being taught mostly by the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees, and they were teaching all about an outward form of righteousness. Because you have to understand this, that the the Jewish people living in Jesus' day and hearing him teach would be thinking about and really concerned about if they were going to get into the kingdom. And so they were all about, am I qualified to get into the kingdom? And so as they were following the teaching of the religious leaders, It was all about an outward righteousness. So Jesus came and was teaching, it's about the inward righteousness. 
And so the Beatitudes are about what he expects from his citizens. And then last week, you remember, we looked at salt and light. So he says, if this is who you are in the Beatitudes, this is what I expect you to do, be salt and light. Remember, we talked about being influencers for Jesus, right? You want to do it on YouTube and be a YouTube influencer? Then by all means. But Jesus is saying, be an influencer for me, salt and light out in the world. So Jesus taught us what it looks like, the inner qualities of a citizen. And he says, this is what you are to do and to live out, be salt and light. But now he's starting to get into how, which is important. How do we do that? Where is our focus? Like, where is our power? Where is our ability? Where does our authority come from to be salt and light and to live out these inner qualities of meekness and peacemaking and thirsting after righteousness. So let's talk for a moment about authority. Who is the authority in your life? I expect all the husbands to turn and look at their wives and say, yes, you're my authority. We all have authority figures in our lives. Growing up, we had parents or guardians, somebody watching over us and we had school, and we had teachers, and we had principals, and we play sports, and we had coaches, and we go to work, and we have bosses and supervisors, and we know all about authority. We live in a country where there is law, and there is authority above us, and many levels of authority. But you know, in this land, as in many other countries, we have a supreme authority, in the sense of the Supreme Court. They're called the Supreme Court, which means the best, the highest, right? Authority in the land. The Supreme Court of the United States does not make the law. They're not supposed to make the law. But they are to interpret its original intent and meaning. So we know all about the separation of powers and the different branches of our government, but the Supreme Court of the United States is the highest federal court in the country. It was established by the U.S. Constitution, and it has the ultimate jurisdiction over the laws of our nation. And it is responsible really for one thing, evaluating the constitutionality of those laws. And so throughout the year, can you guess about how many cases are brought before the Supreme Court? They don't hear all of them. Can you guess how many in, a, in an average year are brought to the attention of the Supreme Court, like, like attorneys and lawyers saying, we want you to hear this case, because we've been through all the lower court system, but we believe you, the Supreme Court justices, need to rule on this case and make a final ruling because you have the final authority. I had no idea. 7,000. About 7,000 cases are brought to them. They only choose to hear about 100 or 150. So they choose which ones they are going to hear. Uh, usually, and hopefully based upon which ones they think are most important, will have the most impact on other laws and what that looks like for our country. So the Supreme Court hears these cases, and they are simply tasked with interpreting the meaning of the law even to the point where they have something called judicial review, which means that they have oversight over the acts of Congress. So as Congress 
makes the laws, the Supreme Court can decide, is this constitutional or not? See, here's what I'm getting at. We have a standard in our country. It's called the Constitution. We have a Supreme Court who is supposed to interpret that law. So here comes Jesus on the scene. The Pharisees and the scribes thought they were the law. They thought they were the supreme interpreters of the law. Even to the point where, yes, they believed in the Mosaic law, the law and the prophets, as we'll see listed here, the Old Testament. But they, throughout the ages, had then created traditions, rabbinical teachings, which they held in such high esteem, even to the point where often it was had greater weight of authority and veracity than even the Mosaic law. And so this is the world Jesus stepped into. So Jesus now in our passage today is talking about the righteousness of that law. And Jesus says, as you will read in a moment, that he did not come to do away with or abolish that law, but to fulfill it. It's a very powerful statement. And so that's what we're going to unpack together. We know all about authority. We have authority in our lives. We have authority in our country. Jesus comes and makes those bold statements to first century Israel and their religious leaders that he is affirming the law and the word of God that he has the authority to interpret it, not the Pharisees and scribes. And you can imagine that ruffled some feathers, right? So let's read it together. This is Matthew 5, 17 through the first half of verse 22. So here's what Jesus says. Again, he continues. He had spoken and talked through the Beatitudes and then salt and light, and now he says this. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others and teaches others to do the same, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. I added those two in because it's a perfect lead-in to what he continues to then preach. So today is really setting the stage for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is building his case. Matthew is recounting this to build his case that Jesus is the rightful king to oversee and rule over the kingdom his father has given him. And so let's look through this and just unpack it briefly together as we keep in mind this idea of authority, authority in our lives, because of course we want to take personal application from this. 
But as we see Jesus speaking about the Pharisees and the scribes, the ones who were considered the law of the day, telling everyone the meaning of the law of Moses, called here the law and the prophets. So do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Let's just park there for a moment. So what does he mean, law and the prophets? Very simply, it was an expression uh, used to describe the whole Old Testament, what we know as the Old Testament. It was the law, the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets really was just a, a way to describe the whole rest of the Old Testament. So Jesus is saying, all of the writings, all of the word of God, right? He is saying, don't think that I came to abolish it. Why would he say that all of a sudden? Because the religious leaders were accusing him, as they often did, accused him of many things that he did not do. They were accusing him of disregarding the law. Here he comes proclaiming to be king and Messiah. And they're looking around saying he claims to be king, but he doesn't even obey his own law. And he says, no, I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to disregard the law. I came to fulfill it. What would that mean? What would it mean that Jesus would say that he would come to fulfill the law? First, we see that Jesus is affirming the authority of the Old Testament, the authority of the Mosaic law, the authority of God's word. That's important to us today, isn't it? Because the further we get from keeping the very word of God, the Bible we have today, Old and New Testament, as our supreme authority on all matters of faith and life and practice, the further we get from God and his will. I can get an amen for that, right? That we need to keep the word of God close. And so when I ask who is your authority and what is that authority in your life, as believers, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are to keep his very word, the Bible, as authority in our life. If you notice, if you go to any church website, you can go to our church website, any church, they're normally going to have a statement of faith or a doctrinal statement, what they believe, because that dictates then how they act and the things they do. That's the way it's supposed to work. Like a country has a constitution, we have a constitution, and part of that is our statement of faith. And almost every church is going to start with two things. First, it's going to start with what they believe about the Bible, and then what they believe about God, God the Father. And why? Because we learn about God the Father and all the rest of the things that we would list in a statement of faith from the Holy Scriptures. So what a church, a group of believers, and what we as individual believers believe about the very Word of God has great, great implication and significance. You see that? And so Jesus is saying, first, that the law and the prophets are real. He uh, affirms the veracity of them because they were accusing him of disregarding it. But see, what Jesus is doing, and this is a key point to take away today, is that Jesus is not abolishing it, but he's fulfilling it by getting at the heart and the spirit of the law. See, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were all about keeping the law, and it was about the outward appearance, right? They had lost, listen, they had lost the heart and the spirit behind the law. They were not seeing God in his heart in the law. So Jesus says he comes to fulfill it. 
meaning he came to fulfill the prophecies about Messiah. So he's proclaiming that he is the Messiah, but also to complete it. See, when he says to fulfill, that's really what it means, that he is completing it. He is satisfying because the law had called for sacrifice, for forgiveness of sins. Did Jesus not satisfy that requirement of the law on the cross? So Jesus is saying a lot in this one statement. He is bringing the law to fruition. One theologian says it this way, the Mosaic law, of course the Ten Commandments are part of that, He says that they were revelatory and regulatory, but not redemptive. And here's what that means. That the Mosaic law, or the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, God revealed himself, specifically in the Mosaic law. And so he used it to uh, reveal who he is and what he wants. It was regulatory in that it was also regulating the life of national Israel. There were dietary laws, and there were things to do and not to do. But the Mosaic law was not redemptive in nature. You could not save yourself. But that was the whole point, right? Was that God gave the law to the nation Israel to show them that you could not gain righteousness on your own. Because that was the key, as we see Jesus will say. So the law was meant to show them that they needed God, that they could not fulfill it all themselves who was the only one that could? It was Jesus. And he did. So therefore, he is the Messiah, the King, the only one who could save. So therefore, when he says he came to fulfill the law, he brought that redemptive part that was missing from the Mosaic law. But again, those religious leaders, they gave great authority to their traditions and rabbinical teachings, and so Jesus was not affirming that. He said the law and the prophets, right? That's the very word of God. They would have understood that distinction too. But then you see what he says next in verse 18. Very truly, or for truly I say to you. Let's stop right there. That's an important phrase. We don't want to just pass that by. Jesus says, for truly I say to you. In the original language, this would have been a very declarative statement statement he would have been saying this with great authority jesus says for truly i say to you it means you better listen because i have the authority to say what i'm about to say that's what it means he says that often it's all throughout matthew as well jesus starts a a sentence or phrase by saying truly i say to you it means listen you say this has got the authority behind it and you better pay attention He says, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until it is accomplished. Again, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders and he's saying, I affirm that the law and the prophets is the word of God. So we are to stand firm and hold firm to that. He goes even further and says, again, remember, I didn't come to abolish it. Nothing could abolish it. He says, until heaven and earth pass away, until God is done with his plan, he says, not the smallest letter or the stroke shall pass away until everything in it is accomplished, not just part of it, all of it. So if God makes promises, he needs to keep every one of them, not most of them. Am I right? So Jesus is saying all of it is important and all of it will be fulfilled and accomplished. 
even to the point where the smallest letter, and that would have meant, like, they would have understood, especially in the Hebrew, it would have meant, like, like, you know how we have the little dot over an I, like lowercase I, there's the dot? That would be the smallest letter or stroke. Like, if you, if you look at a capital P and a capital R, there's just a little stroke right there at the bottom that separates a P from an R. You picture it? That's what he's saying, like the stroke. Jesus is saying the little thing, the little stroke. Those make a huge difference. So he's saying every word, every part of every word, every letter matters. Is that the place of authority we put the Holy Scriptures in our lives? That every word counts. Every word has importance and meaning. And do we read it that way? In our devotions, in our times of study, do we treat the Word of God that way? Where every, not even every word, every letter matters. Because we know, especially in our day and age, you you know that words have meanings and they can change. The meanings can change, definitions can change. We have to be careful how we choose our words. Parents, you tell your kids to speak, to think before you speak, right? It's important to do that. Because words have meanings. We're told elsewhere, elsewhere that words can build up or tear down the power of the tongue, the written word. Words have meanings and those words are made up of letters you need to get the letters right. One letter off can change the word and the whole meaning of a sentence or a thought completely. So Jesus is making the point, every word, every letter of God's law matters. So Jesus is making a really important point. He's, of course, making it really well. That it all matters to him. He is not disregarding it. In fact, he will fulfill every part of it. So he talked in the Beatitudes about the inner quality, the characteristics, the heart, the spirit is what matters. It's the heart of the law that the religious leaders were missing. Just keeping the law outwardly doesn't mean anything if you don't have the right heart attitude. Let's look at it this way. We're all familiar with the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, right? Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. Where do we hear those words most often? At a wedding, right? And it's beautiful, it's this beautiful passage. But you know where the context of that falls in, in 1 Corinthians? Yes, between chapters 12 and chapters 14. But what is Paul talking about in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14? He's talking about spiritual gifts. He's telling the church about the gifts the Holy Spirit gives to each believer. He's talking about how to use them, how not to abuse them, right? Which ones to seek. But right in the middle of that, it's like he takes a break. He's talking all about the, the, the gifts of the Spirit and how to use them. He lists them. But then he kind of pauses. And for all of chapter 13, he says, wait, let's talk about love for a second. And then in chapter 14, he goes back to spiritual gifts. But why? Because he says, without love, everything else I'm saying doesn't matter. Jesus comes along and says, you can keep the laws all you want and look good on the outside. We know later on, what does he call the religious leaders? Whitewashed tombs? Well, it looks good on the outside, nice fresh coat of white paint, but on the inside, there's dead bodies. So Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 13, he's saying love is the key. Love is the foundation because without the heart of love, the rest means nothing. 
Jesus is saying, if you're missing the heart and the spirit of the law, it's not going to get you into the kingdom. Remember 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3. This is what Paul says right before he says, love is patient, love is kind, like the passage we know really well. Here's what he says first. If I speak with tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries and I have all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to even remove mountains, if I don't have love, I have nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but if I don't have love, it profits me nothing. Then his next words are, love is patient, love is kind. Then he describes love. See why I bring that up? Because Jesus is saying, it's the heart that matters. Church, that's really important for us. We come to church, we serve, we go to the rescue mission. We take care of our church on a work day like we had last week. We do these things that are important, and they bring glory to God. But Jesus is really asking us, where's your heart? If your authority truly is with the Lord Jesus and your authority is with his word, what does it teach us to do? It teaches us to start the heart. Because sin that separates us from God is not just an outward issue. It's a matter of the heart. See the connection there? So we can't just say, I'll do better and look good on the outside and say, okay, this gets me into heaven. Jesus says it doesn't work that way. It's a matter of the heart. He'll get to that in a moment. Verse 19, as we continue on. For I say to you that unless your righteousness, again, just picture the religious leaders hearing this and then his disciples that are learning about all this. He says, for I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not even enter the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine? Because in their culture, in their society, nobody was more righteous than the religious leaders. So Jesus says, you want to get into the kingdom, because they're all worried. They're like, am I qualified to get in? He says he's king. Okay, what do I do to get in? Now he's telling them, you have to be more righteous than the religious leaders that you have revered for generations. They're like, what are you talking about? So why would he say that? Unless your righteousness surpasses that. Why? Again, he's making the point. They would have understood. Their righteousness was on the outside. It was superficial. He's saying it is about the heart. I think, did I skip over that verse? Not sure that I did. Here we go. I did. Sorry. I'm getting so excited. Skipped right over well, verse 19, well, he, he continues to make the point. Whoever then annuls one of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom. Then the opposite is true. Whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom. So evidently in the kingdom, we don't know much about this, but in the kingdom, there will be degrees of reward. And so he's saying, for those of you who want to do away with any of these commandments or don't give it its, its proper attention, he goes, that's not going to be good for you in the kingdom. That's what he's saying. He continues to make that point. 
that every part of the law is important. He just said that the smallest letter or stroke will not pass away. So then he says, you can't annul even just one of them. Again, talking to the religious leaders. Now, verse 20. And what does he say? Your righteousness needs to surpass that. Think about it this way. You want to clean yourself up, a whitewashed tomb. You want to be cleaned up on the outside. What does it really matter if you're not clean on the inside? So Jesus is teaching about the inner righteousness. The true righteousness was, was at the heart of the law. This is really the summary of his point. It would have shocked his listeners. For all the leaders that they had revered, for being most righteous in their society. Jesus is saying they had to be more righteous than them. The point is they needed that inner faith in the word of God and in God himself. What does that mean? Today, righteousness is still the condition to get into heaven. We cannot be righteous enough. Not one of our good works, not all of our good works will get us in because it does not equal the righteousness of God. See, I started off by talking about authority, the Supreme Court, the law of the land, the standard, the constitution of our country, the constitution of our church. God has a standard. And Jesus comes along and says, yes, I am confirming that standard, the law and the prophets, all of God's word. But that has to remain our standard. The standard is still the same in God. It's his perfect and pure righteousness. But we all fall short, Paul says. So how on earth are we going to achieve that? We do it by believing in the righteousness of Christ when he died on the cross for us. When we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what he said he was going to do, die on the cross, come back to life, and that he did it for us, for the salvation of our sin. When we believe that, and we believe it's true for us, the Bible says then we are saved. At that moment, you know what happens at that moment that you believe? Christ's righteousness, his pure, perfect righteousness is imputed, it's a big word, is put upon you, and your Sinful depravity is put upon him. That's why it says he took that upon himself on the cross. It has been called the great exchange. Our sin for his righteousness. Now, when God sees us, he sees the blood of Christ. He sees pure and perfect righteousness because he sees Jesus in us. That we can say hallelujah. So God's standard has not changed. It is still righteousness. It is that inner righteousness because we are now made new by believing in Jesus Christ. Romans 10. I have it here. 1 to 4. Brethren, my heart's desire, this is the Apostle Paul saying it this way. My heart's desire and my prayer for, to God for them. He's talking about the people of Israel. It's in Romans 10. So, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own way. See, Paul's talking about the same issue that Jesus is. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. 
For Christ, look at what it says, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul just summed up this incredible teaching of Jesus. He didn't abolish the law. He ended it. He completed it. He satisfied it because it was the righteousness of God, not self-righteousness, God's righteousness found in Christ. And finally, verse 21 and 22. I include this because this begins um, uh, so much of Jesus' teaching for the rest of the sermon. He's fleshing it out now. What does this look like? He says, so as a way of example, it's good to give illustrations, right? He gives an illustration. He says, so you have heard that the ancients, meaning the, the, the fathers, the, the fathers that they had in the people of Israel, you, shall, you heard that they were told, you shall not commit murder. Like that's in the law, right? And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court, the authority. He's saying that's in the law. You, it was told to you, it's written right there, right? But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. See, Jesus is not abolishing that law. He has the authority to interpret it. So he's interpreted as saying, you have missed the heart of the law. It's not just by saying, I'm going to get to heaven because I never murdered anybody. Anybody say that? I'm a good person. I never killed anybody. That's not God's standard. Hi, what are you doing here? I never murdered anybody. Come on in. God doesn't do it that way. His standard is perfect and pure righteousness, which we cannot attain on our own. So it's said this way. He says, okay, you heard it said. This is true. If you commit murder, you're going to be found guilty in the court of law. He says, you know what? If you just have anger in your heart towards your brother, you've already broken that law, and you're already found guilty before the court. So we end with where I started. We know about laws in the land. We know about a standard, like a constitution. We have those who are the supreme law of the land who interpret that standard, the Supreme Court. Who's the authority in your life? Is Jesus the authority? Matthew's making the point, he is the king. We believe in him for salvation as our savior. We then choose to be a disciple. He is king no matter what, but we are, uh, are we allowing him to be king and Lord in our life? Do we hold the very word of God as Jesus did, as our supreme authority, where we get this information about who God is and who we are and what we are to do? Are we holding him in the highest place of authority in our lives and in every part of our life? Jesus will continue on, you'll see as we go through Matthew, as he continues on in this sermon, chapters 5 and 6 and 7. He explains it to us. He unpacks it for us so that there would be no doubt what he expects from us as followers, as citizens of the kingdom and he as our king. Let's stand and pray together. Father God, we thank you for our time. Lord, as time is precious to you, it's important to us. And so, Father, our prayer was that you would be blessed. We trust that you were. Our prayer was that you would bless us, Lord, and we have been. We thank you for your powerful word.
for the reminders of what Jesus taught us. And we thank you, God, for being our standard who never changes, who never wavers. We thank you that we can trust in your word, the Holy Scriptures, and we can trust its promises. Its promises for salvation, its promises for the security of our salvation, its promises that our Jesus, our Savior, will return one day as King. We look forward to that day. We say, Jesus, come soon. But until that day, we want to be found in your word, following you as our only true authority. Father God, help us to do that. Grant us the wisdom and discernment that we need, the strength that we need to carry on each and every day living in this world. And as we knew last week, Lord, may we continue to be salt and light as we leave this place in the world around us, being an influence for you, for your ultimate kingdom. Father God, may we follow you in doing it all each and every day as our authority, our supreme authority. We'll thank you for it in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning, church. God bless. Praise the Lord. Rise and fall